Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 400. Um, a pivotal episode in the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast history. Um, you know, even though I know all the hard work that's put in these podcasts and the numerous interviews that, and numerous shows, it's it's just really kind of dumped out into just think that I've made it to episode number 400, especially since a few years ago I kind of stepped away from the whole podcasting game. Um, but since then, of course, I've come um, roaring back and um, trying very hard to get like a few episodes up a week. And here we are to number 400. And you now I was th- thinking to myself, what is something really kind of cool I could do for, you know, celebrate the 400th episode of the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast? Um, and I had a few ideas, and I thought that the best thing to do was kind of like an Ask Me Anything, where I can get um, people on my you know, social media, whether it be Facebook or wherever wherever else, just ask me questions. And because I love, you know, answering questions, I love when you know, people who read my content and, and watch my videos, listen to the podcast, re- really reach out and, and ask me questions and, and that dialogue is there. So, and I hope it, that continues to happen after um, I answer the questions that were sent to me uh, in regards to episode number 400. So I've got a bunch of questions in front of me now. Um, let's go through them and have some fun with it. It's really kind of off the cuff uh, kind of reactions to um, these uh, questions that were sent my way. So let's start off now with Lance Vilcek. Um, Lance was actually on my um, podcast uh, a couple episodes ago. We are talking about um, the horror titles of 2021. Um, Lance Vilcek, of course, does work over at Arrow in the Head and Joe Blow. Um, be sure to check out his, his work on there. He, I love, really love his work that he does on, 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 on that website and YouTube channel, especially the Joe Blow uh, Originals uh, YouTube channel. Um, so the question he asked me is, uh, what were the flicks that really fucked me up as a kid? Uh, which ones got under your skin that weren't the usual Jaws, Exorcist, etc.? Um, really good question. So, you know, Jaws I didn't watch until much later. Um, you know, I actually saw Jaws 2 before I saw Jaws. Um, Exorcist, I actually remember um, when the television commercial for that came out for the first time was going to um, appear on um, Australian TV. I think Channel 9 aired it like back in like the late 80s, early 90s. And that really did fascinate me. And there were scenes from that film that I remember seeing because um, my older brother uh, videotaped it uh, back when we used to do that with VCRs in case, you know, anyone under under 40 doesn't know what a, a videotape is. Um, but, I, you know, I'm, there's a couple of movies that really kind of messed me up as a kid um, that still have an impact to this day. One of them is um, An American Werewolf in London, one of my favourite films. In my opinion, John Landis's best film. Um, you, you know, it goes back and forth between um, American Werewolf and The Blues Brothers, my favourite film from, from John Landis. But I remember when I was, I think maybe eight, maybe nine years old, um, it was a 
dark and stormy night here in Sydney and I, I was kind of freaked out about the storm. So I um, asked my parents if I can, you know, sleep in their room. Um, and they said, okay. Um, I remember getting under the covers and the sound of the, of the lightning and the wind and the rain was kind of, you know, I needed a distraction. So they had a small television set and I turned it on, nothing but commercials. And then on comes an American werewolf in London. And it was the infamous transformation scene. Um, and, you know, at, you know, at that time in my very young life, the movies that I did watch were kind of like, you know, broad comedies and, and stuff, you know, kid stuff, really. I um, never saw anything like that. Uh, to see a man um, actually transform into, you know, this creature on screen. I mean, the, the effects that, that was in the, is in that movie, to this day, is just incredibly impressive. Um, but to see it with such young, naive eyes that, I, that, that a seven or eight-year-old uh, kid has um, was something that, you know, really freaked me out. And I remember specifically um, seeing that scene and just, <laughs> I was using, it's ironic, I was using the TV as a way to distract myself from my fear of the rain and the lightning of the storm and to, to uh, <laughs> freak me out even more with this transformation scene from, you know, this werewolf movie. Um, and it freaked me out even more. And I remember specifically just freaking out and putting the covers over my head um, and just like wishing for it to go away. And I, I think I remember my, my mum or my father coming in at that point and just like, hey, what the hell are you watching? And turn the TV off and, you know, they were very impressed. Um, but yeah, that, that was something that really, really freaked me out as a kid. Another movie that did the same thing was um, The Never Ending Story. And it's interesting, I have that film on, on Blu-ray, but I haven't watched it for a very long time. I haven't shown it to my kids yet. My older son is um, 9 turning 10, my youngest is 6 turning 7. I remember when I watched that when I was a kid, that there were scenes in that movie that really freaked me out. Um, that beast creature in the movie, I forgot what the creature's name is. Was it the nothing? I'm not 100%. Um, but that really freaked me out. Uh, there, and there is a connection when you think about it between the Amer an American Werewolf of London and, and, you know, that creature in Never Ending Story. Um, and it really went to a phobia that I had as a kid with dogs. Um, I don't have that anymore. I love dogs. But um, I was always afraid that, you know, um, because, you know, looking at these portrayals of, of dog-like, canine-like creatures... Um, in these movies as being really kind of uh, vicious and vile and monstrous and evil. Um, it really stuck with me. So those are two movies that kind of messed me up when I was a kid. And, you know, it's interesting. I have the Blu-ray, like I said, of Never Ending Story. And it's rated G. And I remember speaking to my brother. It's like, how the hell is that movie rated G? It has to be a, a PG at least. Um, because scenes in that movie... Um, even though it is like a fantasy kind of like adventure movie that was aimed towards kids, it's some pretty, you know, horrific stuff in that film um, that I don't think young kids should watch. And I definitely won't be showing it to my, my children, at least not until they're like maybe 11 or 12 years old. But that's a, a different subject altogether. Okay, so let's continue on with these questions. Um, 
So JD, longtime friend of mine, longtime supporter of my work, thank you so much for sending this question to me. So he asked me, if you became a director tomorrow and were given the chance to do a remake of any movie, what movie would it be? So, um, I'm going to, you know, I've, I've thought long and hard uh, about this question and I'm going to twist the question a bit, if you don't mind, don't mind JD. So instead of if I became a director, you know, tomorrow and we're given a chance to do a remake of any movie, what would it be? Um, let's jump in the time machine and let's say if I was a director, you know, years ago and I could have remade a movie. In fact, if I could have taken the reins of a movie as it's being made and had the chance with the foresight that I had today to fix it, um, so it wouldn't be as, I wouldn't call it a mess because I am a fan of this movie, but it wouldn't be um, um, derided, derided so bad as it is today. I would love to go back in time to the year of, you know, 1990. Well, I guess they'll make it in 89. And taken over from Francis Ford Coppola in the work that he was doing on The Godfather Part 3. Now, all cards on the table, I am actually a fan of The Godfather Part 3. I do like the film. Um, but of course, following up from the masterpieces that were Godfather Part 1 and 2, um, it doesn't compare to those films, but as a film on its own, if you just look at it as a standalone movie, it is rather good. I thought Pacino's performance was excellent. Andy Garcia is fantastic in it as well. Coppola does some really interesting things in the movie. But there are problems with that film. And if I could have, if I can, if I could go back in a time machine and, and take over the reins, there are a number of things I would have fixed with that film that I think would have improved it tremendously. Let's talk about the first one right off the bat, which is that there is no Robert Duvall in the movie. So the reason why Robert Duvall isn't in Godfather Part 3, in case people did not know, is that he was pretty much pretty much pissed off that Al Pacino had been given, I think at that, that time was like $10 million or so, um, to reprise the role of Michael Corleone. And Robert Duvall um, was given a significantly less offer. Um, and you can kind of see where Duvall um, was kind of upset about this because, number one, at the time, Robert Duvall, you know, is a big-time movie star, especially by the time he hit 1990. Um, Al Pacino, people don't know this, hardly worked in the 80s. He took like a four-, five-year break. I think it was four-year break from movies. He did a film in 1985 called Revolution, where he played a, um, a Scottish revolutionary. Um, it's as crazy as it sounds, and, and and it is as bad as well. I mean, trying to hear Pacino do a Scottish accent is quite something. Um, so the movie Revolution tanked, and Pacino just, was just like, you know, to hell with this, I'm going back to Broadway, and he did like, a lot of Shakespeare on, on stage, and, and he came back in 1989 to do a movie called Sea of Love, and the following year he does a Godfather Part 3. In that time where Pacino was away from, from the screen, Duvall really kind of positioned himself as one of the best like leading men in Hollywood at that time. Um, he had won the Oscar for Tender, for Tender Mercies, I think it was, that was in 83 or 84. Um, he had been doing so much great work uh, throughout the 80s, 
Um, and I'm sure in his mind, he was just as equal uh, to, uh, to Pacino in regards to um, his status and, and the money that he deserved. And of course, Coppola didn't give him that money. Duvall passed on reprising the role of Tom Hagen and he's not in the film. So if I could have gone back in time, I would have given Duvall whatever money he wanted so he could have been in this movie. And what I would have done is I would have um, had a kind of like a rivalry between Pacino's Michael Corleone character and uh, Duvall's Tom Hagen um, character. I would have had Tom Hagen um, breaking away from the Corleone family and starting his own kind of like mob family and being in kind of like a street war um, with um, the Corleones led by Pacino. Um, but then on top of that, um, I would have also had a kind of like a Romeo and Juliet thing in the movie as well, where I would have had the um, the children, um, in Pacino's case a daughter, in Duvall's case a son, um, that would have, you know, been in love with one another um, as these mob wars going along. And that, that right there would have fixed the other problem with the movie. Um, and that is the whole kind of like incest storyline. So, so those who haven't seen The Godfather Part 3, Andy Garcia plays the role of um, Michael Corleone's nephew. Um, he's the illegitimate bastard son of James Kahn's character, Sonny Corleone, from the first movie. Um, and in The Godfather Part 3, he falls in love with um, Michael Corleone's daughter. Uh, Mary, who was played um, notoriously by Sophia Coppola. We'll get back to that later as well. And it was really a really weird angle that a lot of people just, you know, even watching it now, it's the, you know, one of the weak, definitely one of the weakest points in the film because it's just so uncomfortable. No one wants to see that shit in the film. Um, you know, no matter what type of um, Shakespearean operatic kind of spin that um, Coppola kind of put on it, it was just a really odd kind of thing. What I would have loved to have seen is you know, an actor like, say, Sean Penn play Duvall's son um, and him fall in love with um, whoever would have played um, Al Pacino's uh, daughter in the film. Definitely not Sofia Coppola. And have that be kind of like the, the love story there. And you can still have Andy Garcia, Andy Garcia um, uh, in a movie as, um, you know, as you know, a pivotal player, but instead of playing like the Vincent Mancini character, the bastard son nephew, I would have had him play Michael's son Anthony, um, and then he could have been like you know, very had a, have an intense hatred against Sean Penn's character, protective you know of his sister, played by anyone but Sofia Coppola. So Sofia Coppola was kind of like a last minute replacement um, for a numerous act actresses who were to play Sophia Coppola in a movie. And this is the last thing I would have done to, if I, if I got a crack at, at doing The Godfather Part 3, I would have definitely not had Sophia Coppola in the role. Um, you know, Winona Ryder was cast in the movie, but she pulled out due to exhaustion at that time. Um, you know, and supposedly there was kind of like other factors in, in, in regards to why she couldn't play the role. And Julia Roberts was another person who also... Um, was in line to play that role of Mary, but of course she went on to do Pretty Woman. I would have loved seeing an actress like a Marissa Tomei play the role as Mary. So in my version of Godfather Part 3, um, 
you had Pacino playing uh, Michael Corleone. He's in a, you know, gangster war against his um, adopted brother, play, um, Tom Hagen, played by a returning Robert Duvall, but their children, played by um, uh, Marissa Tomei and Sean Penn, are in love with one another, kind of like a Romeo and Juliet angle, kind of like, you know, mixed in there. So it's like a crime story mixed with Shakespeare. Um, and then you also have Andy Garcia playing the, the brother of Marissa Tomei. He's really protected. I think a cast like that, a story like that, would have been much better um, compared to what The Godfather Part Three eventually became. And like I said, I am a fan of the movie. I think there's a lot of cool things happening in that film. It's just a, it was just an odd film compared to the other two um, uh, for reasons um, beyond the, the incest angle and Sofia Coppola's performance. There's other things in the film that it's kind of odd to it as well. Um, a great movie, but, you know, if I could go back in time and remade it, um, then I would have loved to have the chance to do that because I think um, that kind of story would have been, you know, something that could have the grandeur of the Godfather um, series, but also have the kind of like the elements to it as well that people would have expected from a Godfather movie. Um, and to have, you know, Duvall and Sean Penn and Marissa Tomei uh, alongside Pacino and, and, and uh, young Andy Garcia would have been uh, fantastic. So JD, that's the, the movie I would have loved um, to have a crack at. Uh, if I could go back in time and, and had the power to do so, I would in a heartbeat. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. Um, so Jake, uh, Jacob Airy, um, he was also um, a, a friend of, the Matt, of Matt's Movie Reviews. Um, he was also on my podcast a few episodes ago. We are talking about the superhero movies of 2021. Um, for those who don't know, he has his own um, podcast as well and YouTube channel called Studio Jake. I really recommend people check it out. It has his own website as well. Um, the links for all of these, by the way, I'm going to place in the, the show notes um, so you can find um, you know any type of links to articles or, or websites or podcasts I'm referencing throughout the show. So Jacob asked me, what is a movie or movies 
that you should should be required viewing for film students. So this was a very interesting question. Of all the the questions that I sent my way, this one I was, I thought about the most. Um, I'm going to choose one film um, that I think has multiple elements in it that covers a, a plethora of um, of subjects in 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 lessons that you know film any film student at film school would need to look at in that movie is the exorcist anyone who knows me knows that i love the exorcist one of my top five favorite films of all time in fact i've been mewling redoing my top 150 movies um something i've been slowly working at and placing it at number one because the more i watch it um no matter how many times i've watched it over how many years now um, I absolutely love that film. And why I chose The Exorcist is because that is a movie that has so many different things going on in it from a filmmaking standpoint that I think there's so many lessons that could be learned from it as a, uh, as a film student. Um, first off, you know, people don't realize that the movie is a adaptation of a book written by William Peter Blatty, and he wrote the screenplay as well for the film. Um, that book was huge. I mean, that was a huge, big best-selling book. You know, these days people you know, talk about, you know, Harry Potters and Hunger Games and Fifty Shades or what have you, um, and how big that film was. The Exorcist was a huge success that the book was. Um, the adaptation that William Peter Blatty did for that, under the guidance of William Freakin, I think is fantastic. Um, I've read The Exorcist book. It's been a while, though. Um, and there's not everything, you know, adapting books to screen is, is a really tricky process. But what William Peter Blatty did um, was terrific. And you needed a director like William Freakin to be able to step in as well and say, um, no, we're not going to ha have this. Let's change it to that as well. Because, you know, you have essentially... We know the author is adapting his own own book to a screenplay. I'm sure he wants to have all um, everything from his book in there. It's up to the filmmaker uh, to make sure that um, you know the the words on the page um, is respectful of the medium of of film, and and that's definitely something that William Freakin did. And then you know for a long time, even after the film came out and all the success that it had, there was certain. Um, uh, quarrels that William Peter Blatty had with William Frequent because certain things from the book wasn't in the movie. Um, but that's one thing that, that people could definitely learn is the process of ad adapting a, a book, especially such a successful book, to the screen. Another thing that's really um, important, I think, um, in regards to the Exorcist movie is that it's a, it's a film in which um, it has a lot of patience um, in regards to how its story unfolds. I think a lot of people, especially, say, like the younger generation um, of film watchers, have a problem with the film because it starts off really slow and nothing really happens in regards of, you know, the whole demonic possession aspect of the film until like an hour into the movie. Um, which is crazy this day and age. Like, you watch a Conjury movie in the first scenes of, well, the first sequences in the film is just like water war, jump scares, etc. That's just the the um, the tone of, of filmmaking that that a lot of uh, people have are used to these days. So when it comes to the exorcist, it comes across really slow, and I think that's a really 
important thing to, to for filmmakers to learn today as well, especially young filmmakers. I think a lot of films these days kind of get really like into it straight away. Um, and I like films that really kind of set their pace. And so when those things happen in, in the movie that are scary or, or, or what have you, um, there's a lot of grounding beforehand. A movie like Hereditary did, does a great job with that. Um, you know, it's, it's a film with similar uh, themes as The Exorcist, and um, it's also a film that kind of takes its time at the start of the movie. Um, another thing that students can really learn about in regards to The Exorcist is um, d- um, working with um, makeup effects and creature uh, feature effects. Um, especially in regards to genre filmmaking. And, of course, The Exorcist has some of the best makeup effects um, ever put to screen from the great Dick Smith. Um, the work that he does in that movie, uh, working with Linda Blair, um, cr- turning this 12-year-old child into, you know, uh, a demonic uh, force that is uh, just um, uh, repulsive in her in her look with the... With the the, the texture of the skin and the teeth and the eyes and the hair and everything. I think that's a very uh, important thing that filmmakers uh, need to learn about as well and how to capture that on screen. Um, you know, working with a great cinematographer, cinematography as the film has, um, excess film has working. You know, it's a movie where you have that where freaking had to work with a, a child actor in Linda Blair, who at the time I believe was like 11 or 12 years old. Um, that's the important lessons to be found there. And it's also a movie in which filmmakers need to learn what not to do on set which of course you know in in 2022 i think there's more common sense in regards to what not to do on set as compared to the filmmakers of the 70s and before that um and for people who don't know william frequent william frequent the director of the exorcist was notorious for his unorthodox methods of getting genuine reactions from his cast he would do really crazy shit like fire a gun um off camera um to get reactions from his cast like to kind of like make him jump uh when he needs them to jump um there um is a a couple scenes where he actually used um physical violence to get reactions from his um from his cast so there's these there's two famous stories from the making of that film the first is um at the end of the movie, and spoiler alert for those who haven't seen uh, The Exorcist, but, you know, it's been how many years now, how many decades, um, and if you haven't, please, please do. Um, when there is a death, a pivotal death in the movie at, at the conclusion of the film, um, um, a priest, a real-life Catholic priest by the name of William O'Malley, he plays the, the role of Father Dyer in the movie, and he's comfort, comforting a um, the the the, pers- the the deceased person or the pseudomy deceased person, and giving him the last rites. Um, and in doing so, he's shaking and he's sobbing and he's crying. Um, the problem was that while Freakin wanted William O'Malley to have that reaction on screen, you know, he's a priest. He's not an actor. He doesn't have the training to kind of evoke that kind of emotion on screen. So William Freakin pretty much looks at William O'Malley and he says, you know, Father William, do you trust me? And a guy in his, in, in Father O'Malley in his foolishness said yes. 
and William and Frequent slaps the shit out of him. Like Stockton slap Nate Diaz slap across the face, at which, you know, this this priest is shocked in and repulsed in 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 crying and in then William Frequent says action and he has him in this state of, of shock and 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 high emotion and uses that to get the emotional context needed on the screen. Um, another infamous um, scene that happened in the movie is in regards to the film's uh, lead actress, um, Ellen Burstyn. Um, legendary act actor she is. Um, but to this day, she has a back injury, um, which came from the set of The Exorcist. So there's a scene in the movie where um, Linda Blair, in full-on possession mode, um, throws her mother across the room, and the mother is, called, is played by Ellen Burstyn, um, to get that, that violent act, that violent, you know, thud to the floor and to see her be pushed back at, at a really kind of um, aggressive way. William Frequent actually got the members of the cast to, members of the crew, sorry, to tie a rope around her waist and tug her with all their might to the floor to replicate that violent act on screen. And, and they did so, and it looks great on screen, but also you will see on screen is the reaction from Ellen Burstyn, which is just utter pain because she really hurt her back really bad. She hit the floor, she screams straight away, her hand goes to her lower back. Um, and, you know, the crazy thing about it is that here is this, um, you know, award-winning <laughs> actress screaming in pain from this injury on set of her movie um, and William Freakin actually used that footage in the movie. It's effective, it works, but you know there is no way in hell people, any filmmaker would do that today. Not unless you know they want you know to be to be cancelled and and you know blacklisted. Um, and, and, and in fairness to William Freakin, uh, for good reason as well. So yeah, so The Exorcist has so many elements to it um, that I think that it will be a great uh, film for um, film students to, to study um, and to, to examine and to look at because it's just, it, it covers a lot of different um, subjects and a lot of different um, filmmaking techniques. Um, and, and also, it's a great film and should be seen by more people as well. Um, so, Leanne, another longtime fan of Matt's movie reviews, a former workmate of mine from a way, way back, um, always a supporter of Matt's movie reviews. In fact, she's a, she's a patron of the website for everyone out there. Um, if you want to be a patron um, and you can request reviews or top 10 lists, etc., um, video reactions, receive exclusive content, I'm going to have the my Patreon page link in the show notes and I'd love it if you could um, to help out, uh, help me out in, in making sure that I can put, have this content up um, and I can uh, you know, support myself while making this content. Um, but she asked me, um, if you were suddenly teleported to another land, world, planet, alternate universe, where would you teleport to and why? Very interesting question. So I had a thought about it and there were obvious movie, you know, universes, um, you know, uh, worlds that popped in my head, you know, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, etc. And 
you know, when it comes to a lot of these places, whether it be Middle Earth or, you know, the different planets that Star Wars inhabit or what have you, um, there's, on one end, I thought to myself, how cool would it be to hang around these Jedis and wizards and, and all of that? But then at the same time, there's a flip side to that coin where I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but then you're going to be hanging around all the kind of like the, the evil creatures and, and <laughs> etc. Um, space aliens or, you know, the orcs and elves and things that will kill you and dragons and you know, all that stuff. So... I don't think I would want to be in, live in, you know, be teleported to those worlds. And, and But a world I would love to be teleported to, um, and for those who know me, they'll know understand this answer, I would love to be teleported to and in, in live in the world of the Rocky universe. How awesome would it be to live in a world where a figure like a Rocky Balboa who practically, you know, fought political wars in the ring in regards to the Cold War, who personified the underdog um, getting his due, who, you know, took part in wars in the ring that inspired nations and inspired people, um, much like the movies did. Um, but talking about the character itself and within its world, you know, how cool would it be to live in that world? Um, where, you know, there's, there's been a, a Clubber Lang and an Ivan Drago and an Apollo Creed. And from that context as well, I guess the Creed movies would be the same world. Um, as a boxing fan myself, I'm a big-time boxing fan. However, the, the boxing, as a, boxing as a sport, I love it, but boxing as an as a entertainment, as an industry, is incredibly frustrating because there are so many different builds and so many different promoters in um there are um, all these dream fights you want to see that will never happen because different fighters are signed to different promotions and you know, it just never happened. But in the Rocky movies, a lot of that stuff doesn't seem to, to hold much sway. So I think it'd be fantastic to live in the Rocky universe where not only um, can, will there be a figure like a Rocky Balboa to be incredibly inspiring um, and I think that's something the, our world needs right now are inspiring figures. I think there's so many neg so much negativity, um, so much hate, so much division that to live in a world where there's a rocky Balboa, I think that would be uh, incredible. Um, and not only that, as a boxing fan, I would love to be able to see that type of boxing fighting um, in, in, in a in a real world context. So yeah, Leanne, I'm going to say the rocky universe and for those who know me they know that i love the whole rocky franchise i'm a big stallone fan rocky balboa um hands down my favorite movie character um there's no denying i just love i love that character i love what stallone has done with it so yeah that's my answer to rocky universe all right so we're going to go to the last question now uh robert may um so a long-time friend of, of my, 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 mine and supporter and supporter of Matt's movie reviews, um, he had a really interesting question, um, and it's something that I, I have pondered doing myself, but his question is, with the quality of tele television, um, and he listed shows like Yellowstone and Billions, etc., um, have you thought about adding TV shows to my review roster? So the problem that I have um, in my life is that the, I get so many films and, and things sent to me and I have 
so many interviews to do and in, in, in writing and articles, etc. is that often I find myself not even with enough time to watch the movies that I need to watch. You know, in adding TV to that would just I'll just be watching content and not writing about it. I would absolutely love to have to, to review um, TV shows, etc. Um, but it will take away from all the work I want to do with movies. There's so many movies I haven't watched yet. There's so many people I haven't interviewed yet. There's so much video content I want to create that if I took on television as well, um, and in you know television these days these days is incredibly uh, fantastic um, in its storytelling and performances, um, and also incredibly addictive. I'm I'm just afraid that if I did that, I'll just overburden myself and burn out. I'm trying really hard um, with my life to make sure that I deal with the stress of my um, my job, the stress of staying on top of um, my work and the anxiety that comes with that. I don't want to overload myself. So Rob, may I would love to watch these shows. You know, Yellowstone, I've only seen like four or five episodes and I want to watch more of it. I just don't have time to do so, you know. Um, the only time I can watch like TV shows these days is um, when I'm doing the dishes. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. So I've got that brief period there where I can watch a TV show. I don't like to watch movies so much when I do the dishes. I just want to watch something that's, you know, made like a, something that I can watch on a small screen because I watch it through my, my, um, my Samsung phone. Um, yeah, so that's that's the answer right down right there, Rob. If door if I could do a uh, if I had a cloning machine, like in that movie Multiplicity, that Michael Keaton movie, I can make five or six of me. I would absolutely do TV, and I would love you know to do you know reviews about heavy metal as well, heavy metal music, and do reactions to those, and and so many other things. But it's just it's just literal me and only get 24 hours a day seven days a week and you know you know what it's like rob we're, fa we're family men we're dads I and mean, that takes a lot of commitment as well so love to do it i just can't i can't i can't add on the the, the burden of it um who knows maybe in the future uh i will but highly unlikely so that was the last question in this episode number 400 ask me anything thank you everyone who asked me these questions, um, close friends um, of, the, uh, of mine and followers of the show and always you know, supporters of my work and always there to kind of like, you know, help me out when I, when I make a call out for these Ask Me Anything uh, episodes. It is much appreciated. I hope that my answers uh, were satisfactory. I hope that were, um, uh, you know, good for everyone out there listening as well. Um, please make sure to, to check out the links and up um, the show notes. I'll put links to any uh, references to people's um, content and, and work and um, you know any articles that I reference as well. And also be sure to check out all my um, uh, links to my affiliates and to my Patreon as well so you can help me out in keeping this show alive. I'm on episode number 400. I want to make it to 500. Um, I think I can do that maybe by the you know, maybe the middle of the, of this year, because I'm, I'm working right now, I'm trying to get three or four episodes a week, um, so yeah, let's, let's see if we can get it done, um, until then, I thank you all for listening, and um, yeah, time to start working on episode number 401, bye.